0: Now, I know what you're thinking. I don't need one more reason to go to the Met for more conference, but I will just say it. I'm going to be there, yeah! so I know that's going to send you all over the edge, right? <laughs> Hopefully none of you change your mind about going now. <laughs> hey, would you do me a favor and stand as we read God's word together? I am thrilled about today's passage and message. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter three, and I'm going to read to you. Um, Verses 16 through 18, this is what it says. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, please have a seat. Thank you so much for that. There is so much power in the Word of God. That is probably um, one of my favorite things to do together is read the Word of God. And now we're gonna expand on it a little bit, but I wanna just say this, I really had not, decided to do this until just during our time of worship, but I want to warn you, okay, there's a warning involved with this, that at the end of our time uh, in the Word of God, when we go back to sing, I am going to prompt anyone who wants to, to come up and be prayed for by our prayer team, which includes people like Karen and Mike. Today, Jessica will be available, I'll be available. But I think and I believe that what God's going to do through his word in somebody or multiple people's lives today will require that. And so I just want to let you know that if he stirs in your spirit to not be shy, prayer is powerful. Prayer changes people. Prayer is incredible. And so don't be shy. If God does something in your heart today because of that, this is not our normal rhythm. Normally we hide the people being prayed for over to the side. (laughs) But we're not going to do that today. Okay, so I just want to warn you about that. Okay, so for the last seven weeks, we've been teaching through a series that we've simply titled Vision, and I want to just give you a quick snapshot of where we have been so that you know where we are going. Now, I realize that the title, Vision, is not the most clever, and that actually is by design, okay? We wanted to paint a picture, we wanted to make sure that everyone understands the visionary nature of this series, to paint a picture of the mission and vision for Foundation Church. And so I wanna just tell you what our mission is. And it's the same as every Jesus-loving, Bible-believing church in the world. It is to make disciples of Jesus. That's our mission. We can say it whatever creative way we want, but that's what churches who love Jesus are doing. They're making disciples of Jesus. Now that's because Jesus declared that that would be our mission in the Great Commission so I want to read this to you it's Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 it says this then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me this is Jesus therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the mission of every Christian, of every follower of Jesus, is to be a disciple of Jesus and to make other disciples of Jesus. That's the primary mission. Specifically as a follower of Jesus, we are to be baptized. That's Jesus' instruction. So we have our baptism service coming up and that's a public declaration of our faith and we celebrate that together. And we are to be instructed on the teachings of Jesus. Now, during our vision series, what we've been doing is we've been laying out a pathway that Foundation Church, which is all of us, whether you're a first-time guest or you've been with us from the beginning, you're welcome here, and we are gonna move together towards discipling under Jesus. And we believe that discipleship is lived out in three primary ways, and we've been talking about this a bunch, and so for some of you, this is gonna be very familiar. For others, this may be new. But it happens in three primary ways. And the first one is to be with Jesus. That's step one of discipleship. That's number one, is to be with your teacher, to be with your rabbi. In fact, old discipleship patterns, even predating Jesus, was how they learned, was how a person learned to do basically everything useful in their life. They would find somebody who knew how to do it, and they would literally be with them and follow them and learn from them until... They could then do that themselves so the second part of that so we got be with jesus is to become like jesus as you spend time with your teacher as the you spend time with your rabbi you spend time with the person that you're learning from eventually you will start to become a little bit like them right so you want to make sure you're following the right people because you want to be like the people that you're following and then thirdly the end result of that is to eventually do what jesus did and as you learn to think and act and organize your life around whoever you're following or whatever you're following, you will eventually be able to make disciples yourself. So be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. That's how that's how discipleship has happened for thousands of years. And that's how it continues to happen when it comes to Jesus, as we are with him to become like him to eventually do what he did. Now the Great Commission is not the only place that we see this command, right? We read that, the end of Matthew, Jesus sending out his disciples. But earlier in the book of Matthew, in chapter seven, verses 24 through 25, we see this sort of stark, but encouraging warning from Jesus. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says to end that teaching. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, right? puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and the snow came down. It doesn't say that. I'm just adding that. And it beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And we know that Jesus' analogy of a house on a rock is building our life on his teachings, So Jesus is clear that following him, being a disciple of him involves organizing our lives, mind, body and soul around the teaching and practices of Jesus. And last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, you need to catch it online. But if you were here, you know that we talked about when we follow Jesus, when we organize our lives around him, we will change. That's what happens. We will change. And so we've been laying out this vision and Foundation Church and the leadership team here is committed to attaching a vision to this. So we developed this framework. We developed a framework of learning to be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. And it really plays itself out in four primary pillars, if you will. I just wanted to give you an image. So think of these as pillars and here's a quick reminder of what they are. Number one, biblical teaching. Right, it's on our practices. Um, Scripture is gonna be one of the practices that we go through, but everything we do is built on scripture because it's powerful and we need scripture to shape us. The second pillar are the practices of Jesus. This is what we've been talking about now for seven weeks as we apprentice to Jesus. It only makes sense for us to not just listen, but to what? Do it, practice it, organize our lives around what Jesus says. Number three, Christian community. You cannot do this alone. It was brought to our attention a few weeks ago that we talk about solitude. And the difference between solitude and isolation means that you are intending to get away from the noise of your life to be with Jesus rather than just being isolated and siloed over here by yourself where people can't care for you. There's a big difference, you cannot do this alone. So number three, Christian community. And finally, number four, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we are transformed by the power and presence of God. And there is just no doubt about that. Now, if you were here last week, you also heard me say that I thought we were done with this vision series, and I thought we were, but we are not, okay? And so I'm not even gonna say it again, although I think we are after today. But the reason for that, and the reason why we're not done is because I I need for us all to understand something very important. We need to understand that last pillar (laughs) really well we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a necessity in the transformation of our lives and so today we're going to talk about the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit and to kick things off I want to read to you an account from Exodus 34 so I want to give you a little context and then it's going to be on the screen Moses has been made the leader of the Israelites as they make their way towards the promised land. And along their journey, what happens is, is God calls Moses into his presence on the top of a mountain. And this presence is represented like a cloud of smoke. So so Moses just goes up into this cloud of smoke as it's seen. And the purpose of this being summoned by God is to receive the law of God. To receive the commandments, the, the law of God, and that way he can pass it on to his nation. Now, it really is captured from chapters 24 through 34 in Exodus. And so I, I just want you to know there's a lot that happens, okay? But particularly what we need to read today is found at the end of verse, or chapter 34. And we're going to read together verses 29 through 35 so you can see sort of how this account culminates. Starting in verse 29, it says this, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. I would be afraid to, if I'm honest. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak to him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. So what we see in this account is that Moses encounters the presence of God. And it is so powerful that it makes his face radiant. Now, if this happened in today's world, we would assume it was like spillover from Hanford or like, you know what I mean? Like nuclear, like it would just be like, you are sick, right? But in this moment, they see Moses and he had been in the presence of God and his face was radiant. So much so that when he interacted with them, he had to put a veil over his face. Now, the important thing that I want you to notice is this, who had access in this story to the presence of God? Only Moses. That's right. Only Moses, not even the priest, was able to go up into the mountain into the presence of God. And that's because the power and the presence of God was so powerful that even the indirect exposure to it via the radiance of Moses's face meant that his face had to be covered. They couldn't even handle the indirect result of Moses being in the presence of God. That's how powerful it is. The imagery is incredible. And we know that the authors made sure to capture this part of the story. In fact, the presence of God is so holy and so powerful throughout the Old Testament that almost everyone that's mentioned had to avoid direct contact with God or they would die. They would die because it was so powerful, so overwhelming in holiness. So while the veil may have been practical in this particular story, it is also very much a symbolic barrier between the presence of God and the people of God. That's just how it was in that day. Okay, so now we're going to jump ahead to Mark chapter 15. Now, this is the chapter in the Gospel of Mark that captures the events leading up to Jesus's crucifixion and the moment of his death on the cross. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. You can go back and read that if you would like. But I want you to listen to the words of these two verses. Verses 37 and 38 says this. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died. So this is at the moment of Jesus's death. And then it says, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, without any context, the verse about the veil seems a bit out of place. Jesus had just died on the cross and now they're talking about a veil in the temple being torn in two. But to the original audience and to the people there, this was a massive image. Because similarly to the veil that Moses put over his face in the temple, God needed separation from his people because his presence was so powerful and holy and overwhelming. So the veil being torn would have caused them to recall that moment, to think on that moment, even going back to Moses' time. And you see, it's not that God needed protection from his people and from their sin. It's rather that the presence of God was so powerful and it was so powerful holy, that the people needed the veil to protect them from that power. But Jesus, as we know, changes everything. Jesus changes everything, right? And the veil is no longer needed, which is why it was torn. Okay, so now let's jump back. To the verse the verses that we read just at the very beginning of the sermon we're getting back to our original passage now but i want to actually read to you a longer section of it so that you can see how paul is connecting the events of moses experience with the law of god and the veil and then through jesus to what we now experience and how we experience the mystery and power in the presence of god so Second Corinthians chapter three, which is where we were. But I'm going to go back to verse seven and read it all the way to verse 18. It'll be on your screen. But if you want to follow along in your Bible, you're welcome to do that as well. This is what it says. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. Right. We heard that in the account of Moses came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For that, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? therefore since we have such a hope we are very bold we are not like moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away but their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read it has not been removed because only in christ is it taken away even to this day when moses is read a veil covers their hearts but Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. Amen. Yes. Now, this is a beautiful passage. So I just want to take it idea by idea really quickly, so we kind of know what's happening here. Paul is describing the law of God given to Moses on the mountain, and he describes it as a ministry that brought death. Why does he describe it that way? Because the law defined sin, and once they understood sin, they all were guilty of it. They were all guilty of it, just as we are. We are all guilty of sin, and so they were sinners, just as I am. And the penalty for death or for sin was death. So he describes it that way. And yet it was glorious, he says. So glorious that the people, through which God had given to Moses, they couldn't even look upon his face. That's why we read that story together. But now, through salvation in Jesus, we have received a more glorious ministry that does not fade and will not fade. And it's a ministry that brings righteousness. And then Paul continues to say that because of our access to the spirit, we have hope. We have hope. And that hope makes us very bold. And our boldness is rooted in the power and the work of the presence of God, of the spirit of God and the new covenant. Now, unlike the people who were under the Old Covenant, this is the Israelites in the Old Testament who had to rely on another person who was Moses to be an intermediary between them and God. Now we have freedom because of Jesus, who was the final intermediary, the person to go between us and God, has given us access. So that's why it says, when we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Because Jesus was indeed this last and final everlasting intermediary. And then it concludes with verse 17 and 18. It says, when we turn to the Lord, we receive the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And in our freedom with unveiled faces, by the presence and power of God, we experience that freedom. It's really incredible news. I read a commentary when I prep for sermons and other teachings and I use um, David Guzik's commentary called The Enduring Word and I wanna read to you his thoughts on um, these very verses because I think it's very helpful. He says, Paul's thinking follows like this. When Moses went into God's presence, he had the freedom to take off the veil. The presence of the Lord gave him this freedom. We have the Holy Spirit who is the Lord. We live in the Spirit's presence because he is given to us under the new covenant. So just as Moses had the freedom to relate to God without the veil in the presence of the Lord, so we have freedom because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. So our freedom now as followers of Jesus, as Christians, To enter the presence of God is because of what Jesus did on our behalf. It's the result of the work that Jesus did on the cross to remove the veil which was torn once and for all. And then, what happens as we encounter the presence and power of God? We are transformed. We are transformed. Verse 18, one more time, just so we know it. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The freedom that we receive through Jesus means that we can experience the power and the presence of God in a personal way, and that is incredible. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that transforms us in this deep work transformation type of way, right? We talk about this. We talk about how we, how we experience our life and how we experience God's work in our life. And we say it this way, deep work in community over a long period of time. That's what's happening. God is doing deep work in our lives and he's doing it through the community and with the community and it takes a long time, most of the time right? It usually happens in small degrees over a long period of time. Now, occasionally, I want to recognize this. Occasionally there are these moments of just major transformation in an instant, right? We take these major leaps in freedom and growth in the form of miraculous healing. One minute you're a yellow Camaro and the next minute you're a bumblebee. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Okay. I just had to make sure you were still listening. But those moments are rare. As it says right here, we experience it small degrees over a long period of time where we become more and more like Jesus. Instead, most of the time, the transformation that Paul is talking about here and in other areas of scripture are these small shifts in the way that we think and the way that we act and the way that we organize our finances and our family life and our, our, our romantic life and all of these things that God just slowly and steadily, because if he were to transform us so deeply as he could in a moment, it would almost be too overwhelming, much like it was for the people when they saw Moses' face. But those small incremental changes over time amount to significant change. Significant change, we are transformed. So last week I spent, like I said, most of my time with you painting a picture of the type of community that we want to become, and it's listed on that bookmark for you, where we apprentice, where we disciple to Jesus collectively as a church. And if you missed it, definitely go back and watch it because it's, it's important. But I also wanted to make sure that we didn't get caught up in religious activity for the sake of activity. That is just not the point. In fact, the goal of the practices, all the ones that are listed on the card, and really everything we do is to create the space in our lives so that the presence of God can work in our lives. We do the practices to create the space so that the power of God and the presence of God can come into our lives and do what only God can do and change our lives. And transform our lives and the only way that that's made possible is through Jesus and so that's why Paul says when you turn towards the Lord he's not just saying physically turn towards the Lord although that would be helpful as well he's saying when you decide that you are going to pursue Jesus and become a Christian and go after Jesus with everything that you are when you do that then you will experience the power and presence of God and you will have freedom and you will have freedom And so the reason why we needed one more week, at least in our vision series, is because I wanted to make sure that it's only by the power and presence of God that we are truly transformed. All of the talk that we've been doing about adopting the practices and the church-wide rule of life and apprenticing to Jesus is only possible because of the work that Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. To tear the veil so that we can then freely experience personally the presence and power of God. And it's through salvation in Jesus that we receive this access. And we do have a role. We do have a role in our apprenticeship to Jesus. We have a role. So listen to this very carefully. Your role is to create the space for God to do the work. Your role is to create the space for God to do the work that only God can do. And I say this to our team all the time when we're prepping for our gatherings and other things we do. We show up prepared. It's not willy-nilly. We show up prepared. But guess what? The Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting. Right? Right? I mean, I've sat with Jessica and we've talked about preaching and some of the dynamics of preparing for preaching. And it's, it can be hard because God works in your life and, and he's preparing you to help people see the word of God in a new way so that he can work in your life. And, and it, it can be really pressure filled, except for when you remember the Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting. And that's true for you in your life and everything that you're preparing for. The Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting we cannot effort ourselves into the presence of god we cannot earn the gift of grace by a measure of good behavior these practices and the rule of life and everything we do are not a formula for us to predict the outcomes of our life rather as it says in second corinthians when we c- contemplate with unveiled faces the lord's glory we are transformed we are transformed and as we encounter the presence of God and the power of God. That is the space where God works in our lives to change us, to remove the things that need to be removed and to put the things in that need to be put in. It's not something we do, it's something only God can do. And there's fruit. As this happens, you will notice changes in your life. You will notice that there is something different about you as God transform you. In fact, it's very clear. It's listed in Galatians 5. Many of you are very familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. But I thought, let's just read it to make sure that we all really understand what this might look like. So Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. It says by the fruit of what? The spirit, right? It doesn't say by the fruit of our activity or by the fruit of our goodness. It says by the fruit of our of the spirit of being with the spirit that we have these fruits. That we have these things that we want to be. I wrote this in my notes. I just want to read it to you guys. Do you want to be a more loving person? I know I do. Make space in your life for the Holy Spirit to transform you. Do you want to be a more joyful person? I do. Make space in your life for the Holy Spirit to transform you. Do you want to be a more peaceful person? Do you want to be a more forgiving person? Do you want to be a more kind person? Make room in your life for the Holy Spirit to transform you? Do you wish that you had more faith? Make space in your life for the Holy Spirit to transform you. Do you want to be more gentle? Do you want to be more self-controlled? Make space in your life for the Holy Spirit to transform you. That's all we can do. And the more that we try to do it ourselves, it becomes more and more tiring and more and more frustrating. But when we do what Scripture tells us to do and what Jesus commands us to do, to put ourselves in the way of the Holy Spirit, then we are transformed. I want to finish our time today by reading this teaching from Jesus. What better way to finish a sermon than to read Jesus' teaching? And then we're going to pray. This one's found in John Chapter 15, and it's verses 1 through 17, so it's a little bit lengthy, but it'll be on your screen again. Turn in your Bibles if you would like. But This is Jesus' teaching around the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and the necessity of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christ follower. This is what he says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I have told you this so that the joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Now, if Jesus says this, I really think we should listen. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love each other. I so deeply desire in my life and in each one of yours that we would know and believe the words of Jesus. Oh my goodness, right? And I hope you understand why it's so important to us to be with Jesus and be like Jesus and do what Jesus did. It's because of his commands, like this one, where he says... I am the vine, and you are the branches, and apart from me, you can do nothing. What? That's so frustrating. I'm pretty good at things. (laughs) So are all of you. So what in the world is he talking about? You cannot make yourself better. Only by the power and presence of God will you be transformed. And so everything we're doing here at Foundation Church, the communal rule of life, our gatherings, our home groups, our kids' ministry, the Met for More Conference, all of it, is to help people be with Jesus, to put people in the presence of God so that he can do the work that only he can do. And the reason for that is this, it's because we do have a role in our discipleship, and it's to create the space for God to do the work that only God can do. So I've asked Patrick, he's gonna come up and play. and We're gonna have, have just a small time of prayer. I already warned you about it, and so actually I'm gonna invite Mike and Jessica and Karen. And here are your options during the prayer time. You can come up and be prayed for by one of these people who are very trustworthy and loving, or you can pray from your chair, because guess what, God's still gonna hear your prayer. He is, He's gonna hear your prayer. And we're just gonna take a couple minutes, it's like two minutes to pray. And then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna lead us through communion and we're gonna seal this time together through observing communion as Jesus instructed us to do. But please do not miss this opportunity that if you need prayer or you want prayer to come and be prayed for. But regardless of whether you come to get prayer or you pray in your seat, this is what I want us to be praying for that the freedom that Paul talks about as we encounter the power and presence of God, that that would be real in your life and in my life. Freedom from whatever you need freedom for, because you know what? I'm sure that you've had something on your mind throughout this week that you just wish was different whether it's a situation or a relationship or a habit, I know I have. I know that the word of God convicts me. Probably, you know what? You sit under this teaching for like 25 or 30 minutes. I sit under it for a whole week and I'm wrecked every time I come to preach because that's how good the word of God is. And yet I know his grace is sufficient. His power is incredible and prayer really changes things. And so whether you're in your chair or receiving prayer, I would just like for you to join us in prayer for freedom, for yourself, for someone that you need to intercede on behalf of, whatever it may be, but that you would not miss this moment to pray. So I will open us up in prayer and then we will take a few moments and pray as a church. God, we thank you for the invitation turn towards you and experience freedom. God, may we not hold back because of worry or shame or doubt. That we would not hold back from receiving prayer or offering this prayer or taking a chance on you. But God, that we would turn towards you that we would create the space for the work of the Holy Spirit to do what only God can do and give us freedom and transform us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So God, as we pray that you would meet us where only you can meet us, God. If you would like prayer, please come forward and receive prayer, and if you want to sit and pray, beautiful, invite God to work in your life. So if you want to keep praying, please feel free to keep praying, but we want to seal this time with communion. Communion is this practice, if you will, this observance, if you will, where we get to tangibly taste, touch, smell, feel God's grace in our lives. It's truly an incredible gift that he's given us. And Jesus instructed us to do this, to remember him as often as we can. And so we take as many opportunities as we can. And it's simply juice and a cracker, but the symbol and the reason why we do it is to remember him and to receive into our lives his grace again, over and over and over, to be reminded of it so we don't beat ourselves up (coughs) over the things that are just part of being a human. So as we receive it, we receive it together. In fact, in just a moment after I pray for it, you'll stand, you'll walk back, grab a cup, grab a cracker, receive it and come back to your seat. But just remember as you taste it and as you chew on that dry cracker and it sticks in your mouth, that Jesus and his grace are sufficient for you and that he changes everything. So will you stand with me as I pray and bless the communion elements? God, thank you for today and thank you for this tangible reminder in the act and observance of communion, God, that you have given us this way of remembering you and the work that you did on the cross, including tearing the veil so that we can experience the power and presence of the Spirit of God. So God bless these elements, bless the people who receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to receive it and then come back. We're going to sing one more song.